Welcome, listeners, to episode number 26 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. And today I have a return guest on the show. Andy Chan is back. And it's a very exciting episode today because Andy's going to be sharing all about a book that he just wrote that was published um, earlier this year in January. The book is called Dynamic Balance. And it is a book. Um, I'll, I'll certainly let Andy go into the high level overview and details of it, but it's sort of a health and wellness uh, type of book that also covers aspects of diet and, and things that are good for people to eat in order to, to be taking care of their bodies. And so, um, you know, still ties into the, the theme of food that we have on, on the podcast. I'm, you know, super excited to have Andy back. He, he was on the show a few episodes ago to talk about um, all kinds of food in his home city of Hong Kong. And today he'll be sharing all about this new book that uh, he just had published. So Andy, I'll go ahead and um, let you get started by talking about the book and just kind of giving a high level overview of uh, what it's all about. All right, Andrew, thanks for having me on the show again. I just remember our, our last podcast about tacos. So it's, uh, it's always good to talk food with you because I admire that you are so courageous in exploring different foods in the world. Uh, when it comes to dynamic balance, we have written a book that examines the intersection between tra traditional Chinese medicine and fitness. Our body and fitness needs are dynamic and always changing, as are the situations in the world around, around us. So rather than treating every aspect of lifestyle in isolation, we believe that athletes ought to take a holistic approach where different parts of life are recognized as inseparable factors. And turns out, interconnectedness has been the cornerstone of tra traditional Chinese medicine. And certainly from my experience in the US, uh, the philosophy has largely been misunderstood, at least by the athletic community, because it hasn't been well explained. So Dynamic Balance will show you how to adjust your training, diet, and mentality through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine to improve your performance, live a healthier life, and most importantly, reach your goals. So I know a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe two years or so, uh, maybe three, two or three years ago, I found out that you had kind of started embarked on this journey of like writing a book. And uh, I guess, and from my perspective and in my mind, like the idea of writing the book is like not even a, uh, a reasonable possibility of something that I would be like capable of doing. So um, yeah, I'm just curious to hear like, where did this inspiration come from? Because I think for most people, books are kind of something that, you know, like well-known authors will do people who have like spent their whole life, like writing and who make a career out of just like, you know, publishing many different books. So like for you, this is your first book. It's not like you went to school to, you know, study English and literature, like you, you and I were both in the business school. So kind of where did that um, ambition and, and thought and like, what was kind of your inspiration to, to write this book? I think we have to come at, come at this from two different perspectives. So one is exercise science, two is the business degree that we, we both did. And in terms of the exercise science side, this project began as a project as part of my master's degree. So within my master's degree in exercise science, there, there was a course on research statistics. And within the course, as the name suggests, we learn to interpret research because there are many ways to conduct the research and we have to make sure we, we know how to read the material in order to progress our careers as um, scientists, if you will. And at the time, with, for one of the homeworks, we get to 
research on whichever topic of our interest. And the, the, the homework was, okay, we'll pick a topic and we'll look at what the research says, just so we, we begin to develop that mentality as a scientist. And my topic at the time was cubbing, because I'm not sure if you have watched the 2016 Olympics where Michael Phelps had dark purple circles around him. And basically ever since then, uh, the athletic community in the U.S., they were curious in Chinese medicine methods such as cubbing, or you might have seen scraping where people use a tool to scrape the skin. Um, it's hugely popular in the NBA and NFL now. But at the time when I was doing my master's, I wanted to understand the efficacy or the effectiveness of these techniques. And while I was doing my homework, I realized that explanations usually came from two perspectives. One, the Western exercise science world, and two, the Chinese medicine perspective. Now, if we look into the exercise science perspective, a lot of these methodologies, they focus on obviously releasing or just taking care of any adhesion or tightness in the soft tissues around the muscles. But when I got to the Chinese medicine is where things got a bit funky. Because I think if you, if anyone would go on a Chinese medicine website now, and I think once you go on, you realize that a lot of the languages that they use would be foreign to us uh, who grew up in the U.S., who are educated in the Western side, because they use their own language to explain their own language, right? Meaning, so they'll use illustrations that they understand to explain the concept, which means that for those of us who are not from that culture of TCM, we will have no idea what they're talking about. And so it kind of birthed the idea, uh, okay, so maybe moving forward, perhaps I can do a book that looks at the intersection between Chinese medicine and fitness so that fitness enthusiasts can kind of unpack the ideas within Chinese medicine. And, and that's kind of when the ideas came about. And fast forward uh, a few months, I was in my final project of my master's degree. And as, as part of my final project, I get to write a book proposal. Um, because we, we have to write a book proposal in order to pitch to different publishers. And at the time, you know, I was looking for a person to write a book with because I'm certainly not a Chinese medicine practitioner, not an expert by any means. And I, I'm grateful that I, I met Stella, Stella Wong, Dr. Stella Wong in my church group. And I proposed to her this idea that um, this is where I'm going to jump into or jump into our business side. Um, I think... In our undergraduate education, we always talk about the competitive advantage, right? Because as businessmen, uh, when you run your own business, you have to have something that distinguishes you from other companies. And for me as a coach, I think if I just kind of do the same thing as everyone, it's it doesn't make me stand out. On the other hand, if I can write a book, if I can come up with a product that actually contributes to the extra science world, then I know that I, I will stand out as a coach. And... Uh, but obviously, that's predicated on the fact that my book is actually helpful and, and it's built, built on, it's based upon real science and, and real stuff. Um, but that's kind of uh, how, how we started writing the book. And so we put together a book proposal and we pitched to three publishers. All three of them, they loved the idea because there's no such book on the market. And, you know, three years after, our book is published on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every bookstore that you can think of. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got a couple copies of the book like two weeks ago. And so I've gotten started with it. I'm kind of a slow reader, so I haven't gotten all the way through, but I've, you know, already gotten through a few chapters. And, you know, usually when you read a book, you, you sometimes wonder like, oh, you know, I wonder who more, what, you know, I want to know more about this author. Like, 
um, what is this person like? And like, why did they decide to read this? So like to be able to um, do an interview with you and actually hear like what your thought process was like to decide to write this book. Like, I think that is going to help me to, you know, enjoy the book even more. And um, anybody else who's listening to this, who, who wants to read the book as well. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into uh, talking about some of the themes in the book and especially as it relates to food, since uh, this is a food podcast. So, so far with the chapters that I've covered, I've been really interested in hearing what you have to say about um, your diet and how that affects your energy and, and your athletic performance, because that's something that I've tried to work on over the last few years is just improving my diet. Like I realized that as I get older, I need to be much more conscious and, and like thoughtful about what I'm eating and, and just building good habits. Because I think a lot of times you get busy, you get busy with work, you get stressed out, you have family issues, whatever the case might be. Uh, you might not be thinking like, what am I eating today? Or like, how is this affecting my body and my energy? So I love that you like tackle some of those uh, topics in your book and, you know, tie it into this whole theme of, of dynamic balance. So I guess just to start off with, I know like one of the early themes you have in your book is like how we as individuals have uh, imbalance in our lives, uh, whether it be related to how we exercise or how we eat. So um, as it relates to your diet, do you want to share a bit about like how somebody can get imbalanced in their diet and like what that does to them? Sure. I think in the book, not only do we talk about the imbalance of diet, we also examine the relationship between diet and emotions. So say that's the modern American diet. So I, I look back to those college days when, when me and you were in Bloomington, Indiana. And if you think about a typical diet that I went through, I can't say that for everybody it's the same, but certainly for me, you know, in the morning, we started with some cereals, which is highly processed, especially the Frosted Flakes. That, that's my personal favorite. And then you might drive to Starbucks and you get an Americano with like three packs of sugar and sometimes artificial sugar substitutes. And then for lunch, right? Most people go to Subway where they get a sandwich and chips, uh, where the sandwich includes highly processed meat like ham salami and, and, and as well as some processed dressing. And dinner, well, dinner could be pasta, could be pizza, could be mashed potatoes with a huge chunk of gravy, of course. And, and when you look at salads, they're so bland and tasteless without the, uh, the dressing. So I think looking back, uh, I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but I think the modern American diet is quite, quite sad because we tend to just eat the same things, processed foods, a lot of sugar, a lot of fried food all the time. And, and you know, it goes back to why I really like your podcast, because if you think about it, food is a significant part of any culture. Some of us have watched television shows where the French are enjoying their fagua, you know, the Spanish are enjoying the generous amounts of olive oil, fruits, nuts, seafood. Koreans are enjoying their fermented kimchi. Yet, if you think about Americans, you know, a lot of us are stuck with pizza, not the ones that are served with olive oil or fresh tomatoes, but, you know, with tons of processed tomato sauce. And, and I think... The imbalance of diet is, is not a secret, obviously, in the U.S. I think if you look at different commercials, people have always been told that, oh, our diet is crap and it sucks. But in our book, what we want to make a point of is that if you look at the way your digestive system works, uh, it actually is that uh, there is a great connection between your gut and the brain. And within there, there is 100 billion nerves that communicates with the brain. And whenever you eat the wrong food, 
not only does it affect the energy, as you said, but actually affects your emotions. We all have been there when we eat something that's super oily and spicy, and then we have to use the bathroom a few times. And when we know how that affects our emotions. And if we eat a crappy diet and imbalanced diet for prolonged periods of time, well, then not only is our physical energy uh, impeded, as well as our emotional energy. And, and that's, that's the point that we want to get across in dynamic balance. And so I know, like, uh, you know, going a few chapters into the book, uh, another thing that you mentioned was, um, well, I guess, first of all, I think another thing that's that I found to be very interesting about the book is that you really do dig into like specific words and the meaning of those words, um, whether it be, um, you know, Chinese words that have been a part of traditional Chinese medicine for many, many years, or even kind of the English counterpart. And I think that's really important to to get across some of these messages because because the choice of words does matter a lot. And so as a specific example, uh, I know there's one section of the book where you mentioned that maybe harmony uh, is a better word than balance comes to diet. So um, would you like to uh, explain a little bit about that as well? And, and speaking of side topic, I mean, speaking of the terms in diet balance, uh, in, in our proposal, we mentioned how the Chinese medicine terms are oftentimes misused. I mean, if you think about words like the yin-yang, right? Uh, I think the yin-yang symbol is seen in such diverse places. It's, it could be seen in the mall, on television, and even a rap duel. And, and, and I think uh, I think that statement, it caught the eye of the publishers, to be honest with you, because you know we, we want to demystify all these terms that people kind of just use everywhere. And in, in, in terms of uh, harmony or the word choice of harmony, in, when we, in the section where we talk about diet, we mentioned that harmony, in our opinion, is a better fitting word than balance. Because the danger of balance is that people will interpret the word as having consumed equal amounts of all food. Uh, but that's not what we're saying, because here I also want to touch a little bit on the concept of body constitution. So in Chinese medicine, there are nine different body constitution archetypes, and they are used to explain the current condition of the person. And if you think about our constitution, it is influenced by both internal and external factors. So internally, it could be your diet, emotions, constitution, and physical health. And externally, it could be the climate, the location, and the season. So for example, uh, just now before we started recording, Andrew, you mentioned how yesterday it was super hot. And, and when it's super hot outside, it, it, it kind of affects your energy in the, in the food choice that you desire. And so we always say intuitively, we know, right? If we don't eat according to our constitution, you know, it's going to exacerbate any imbalances that we have. And conversely, I think if we eat according to our environment, I think it will maximize our chances of achieving optimal health and human performance. So I think when it comes to food, in terms of thinking of a balanced diet, it is much better to eat in harmony. So with your body condition, as well as the environment that you are surrounded by. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, uh, I think, a new perspective. Like, I think a lot of the things that I've read about diet and healthy eating, it's very much like, you know, these are good foods, these are bad foods. Uh, your plate should look like this amount of vegetables and this amount of protein. And it's not really this idea that our body is always changing. Like our, our moods are changing. The weather is changing. 
And I think you, one of the things that you said early on in the book was that like in, in Western medicine and American medicine, like this, there, this idea of homeostasis, like your body maintains a certain uh, way about it, um, depending on different factors that are, that are occurring. So that very much relates to, um, you know, what kind of foods that you should eat at a particular time uh, based on all those factors of internal and, and external factors. And that, you know, there's not like a one size fits all in terms of uh, what you should be eating from day to day. So, uh, you know, with that said, I know another important concept in the book is an idea that you said as like food is medicine. So not just that food is like sustenance, that something that we have to do every day to, to keep living, but actually medicine that can, that can help us. Um, so yeah, if you want to dig in a, a bit on that and explain more about that uh, concept. Yeah, in TCM, food is more than just biochemistry, right? I think most of us, especially if we are in the health and fitness space, we're very used to counting nutrition. We're used to, used to counting on macros and micros, as we say, right? We count the protein, we count the carbohydrate content, we count the fat or the vitamin or minerals, what have you. Uh, but I think in uh, in TCM, food is way more than all of those biochemistry because it is believed that food had a therapeutic effect. And as such, if you go to a transmedicine practitioner, food is usually prescribed as the first line of treatment. Say today, let's say, let's kind of fast forward a few months and imagine that it is July in the Bay Area now. And it is obviously, it's going to be hot outside. And say that as a result, you find that you have a lot of acne and, and an oily forehead, for example. And if you kind of just look to your diet, well, what, what most people eat in the summer, especially if they want to impress people at the beach, is they'll probably eat a lot of pan-fried chicken, a lot of protein. They'll probably consume a lot of protein shakes to maintain the muscles that they've got for the beach. So if you just think about it, it is hot externally. And internally, the pan-fried chicken and the protein shake is also hot in nature. Uh, which we describes why in, in direct balance. But in combination, the body will be so hot, not in temperature sense, but in the TCM sense. And therefore, if you go to a practitioner, if they see that you have oily heads, if they see that they have an oily forehead or a lot of acne on, on your face, and they realize that you've been eating a lot of fried food or meat, they are likely going to prescribe you foods that counteract the hotness, such as watermelon, coconut water, or even mint. And this is where the cool part comes in because when it is the summertime, we intuitively intuitively go for the watermelon. We would go for the coconut water. We'll go for uh, the mint drinks already. So I, I think that kind of speaks to how TCM is nothing weird because we have been doing many of these practices. We've been incorporating many of these dietary habits throughout history. It's just that we there was no explanation for it. Um, but basically, that's kind of uh, an example of how food can be used as medicine. So in terms of thinking medicine or associating medicine as pills that we take, we can think of the fact that actually there's so much nutrition within food that it can significantly alter the state of our body. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think I have always been kind of, um, I'm not one who likes to go to the doctor very much. And I know there are, you know, people have a different view on that. Like some people will go to the doctor very frequently, if if they're not feeling well, if they have a cold, they have allergies, whatever the case may be, I always like trying to figure out like what medicine they can get or what remedy they can get. But I don't really like going to the doctor because I feel like if I'm taking care of my health, if I'm 
you know, exercising and eating and sleeping well and just doing, you know, basic things to take care of my health. You know, I shouldn't need at my age, I shouldn't need to be having frequent doctor visits. And so I think this idea of food as medicine, it's like, it's, uh, it's like preventative care for your body, rather than letting your body, you know, going to the doctor as to, to find a remedy for something that's wrong with you, uh, be proactive about it and, and take care of your body on the front end by eating well, by sleeping well, by taking care of your mental health. And you're right. And, and I've been reading a book that's called Deep Nutrition. Um, I, the, the, the name of the author just kind of, I can't remember at the moment. Um, but in there, it talked about how a lot of the vitamins that we take, a lot of the pills that we take, they're artificially made. Um, for example, the different vitamin Ds that people take from off the counter, you know, a lot of these things are artificially made. And if we can get these vitamins from real food, then why don't we just eat the real food? Uh, but the problem is, again, it ties back to the fact that in, in the States, there's an imbalance of diet because take a take intestines, for example, you know, in the U.S., it, it, it's considered gross if you eat any type of intestines. And yet if you go to even Mexico, if you go to other countries, it is you know so normal just to consume that. And and it's got it's got so much nutrients, a lot of vitamins, a lot of different um, things in there that's beneficial for you. Yet we we just don't eat that in the states. So I think for anyone listening out there, definitely you should be like Andrew, where you try different foods because you know different foods are good for you. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, let's let's keep moving along and and uh, talk about another concept that you have in the book. So, uh, you know, pretty early on in the book, you talk about the five flavors um, as being another thing in traditional Chinese medicine to kind of describe the diet and sort of you know the different um, options that you have to kind of like balance out your diet with these five flavors. So, um, do you want to? Give us give us that overview of those. Yeah, the the Chinese because there were no biochemists. You know, just piggyback on the the food as medicine topic that we just discussed. So they categorize food according to the flavor, and as the name suggests, there are five different flavors in in Chinese medicine. You've got you've got sour, you've got sweet, you've got bitter, you've got spicy, and you've got salty. And it was believed that each flavor corresponds to a particular organ, and each flavor craving is indeed a signal of need, right? Example, when we're low in energy, usually most of us turn to sugar, right? I think if, if you have worked long nights, I think maybe an hour or two into the night, you'll be like, oh, I need some sugar at the moment. And sugar in itself is a vital source of energy. I, I, I think if not because of the excessive processed sugar in our diets, I think natural, natural sugar is great for the body if taken proper amounts. And thousands of years ago, the Chinese medicine scholars figured out that sweetness gives us energy. So if you crave sweet, your body is sending out signals that you need to fuel up. So within the Chinese medicine philosophy, it was believed or it's believed that sweetness, it nourishes the body and it's good for your digestive system. Natural sweetness, obviously. And so in, in Dynamic Balance, we elaborated on different flavors and what that actually means and how it corresponds to different organs. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I know another thing that you kind of walked through was the idea that uh, some of the different flavors go better depending on the season and the weather outside and, um, you know, kind of the time of year that, that you're in. 
Yeah, I mean, we in Daivas, we even share of the story of Starbucks, how Starbucks got so popular in, in Seattle. And partly because of that, we believe, or the Chinese medicine practitioners believe, is that coffee is bitter in flavor and it, it, it clears out dampness and, and plays that's quite humid, I think, where, where, where Starbucks started. So the bitter flavor will help excavate the, the, the dampness. And as a result, it's actually very beneficial for the body. Whereas if you're in Southeast Asia, where it is, uh, where it is super dry uh, at times, then perhaps coffee might not be the good drink for you. But that's kind of uh, how it came into play using stories. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot more uh, to cover. Um, you know, we wanted to just touch on a couple of the themes that are in the book. And uh, obviously, you know, would highly recommend everybody to to go out and, and check it out. And, um, and yeah, I would love to compare notes with anybody who does. Uh, but there were just a couple questions I wanted to ask you about the book itself. You know, we talked earlier about kind of what your inspiration was to write it and how you got started on that. But, you know, is there anything else that you could share about just like what it was like to write a book, like to go through that process? Because I know that it must have been many, many hours and there probably were some ups and downs along the way. I'm sure you kind of had to adjust your your course of you had an idea of where you wanted to go and maybe along the way you had to make some adjustments and change some things in terms of what the final product was going to be. So, um, yeah, like just, uh, you know, what what could you share about like what the process was like and what you learned along the way? Sure. I think over the past two, three years, I've always think back on an undergraduate degree of, of business and and while that's great for communication, like when I have to communicate with the publisher or, or in work when I talk about competitive advantage or when I talk about running my own brand, I think these things are invaluable to uh, to me since I have a business degree. I'm more I'm well versed in these concepts. But when it came when it comes to the actual science as an exercise science professional, when it comes to the writing as an author, some, sometimes I, I, I kind of wish that I would take other courses as well in university because I think that was the time to explore different topics. So I think while I was writing this book, we are business people and, and I think business writing is probably our strong suit, which just means that we have to be concise and to the point. And sometimes, well, not sometimes. As an author, when you explain something, you have to be descriptive. You have to use a lot of different vocabulary so that it's not kind of the same style of writing throughout the book. And that, to me, was a was a big struggle because I, I must be vulnerable and, and authentic in that my vocabulary is it's quite limited, I think, compared to most other authors. Although this can be to my advantage because that means that I can explain everything in clear and concise manner because of my limited vocabulary. But... I think there are times that I, I kind of wished I, I studied harder in school so that I can be uh, more, I can use more words and kind of elaborate my thoughts further. Um, so I would say that while I was writing the book, it was, it was quite tough in, in that you have to write so much. Um, but of course, with, with, the, with great publishers, they have people there to help. So I had great editors. And for anyone who's looking to publish a book out there, you know, we went through four stages of editing. Four stages. So we worked with four different editors. And and you can imagine you handing in homework and teacher giving you feedback. Uh, but we had four different teachers, if you will, and everyone had their own opinion. So that was definitely eye-opening because you kind of 
learn from different learn from good writers and how they think and how they explain things but i would say you know to sum it up the whole publishing process i would say if i could have taken more taken more writing courses earlier earlier on in in my adulthood that would have been beneficial but i i'm still grateful that i i did business um, not only because i i get to learn how to run a business but um, more of just the, the the essential concept I have to know to survive in this world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, that's cool to hear. Because um, yeah, like like I said, I mean, I don't I don't have another close friend or, or somebody who I know well who has ever gone through this process of like publishing a book. So just to like get some of your insights here about what what the process is like, and you know, definitely definitely uh, we'll have to hear more about it. You know, next next time we catch up in person too. But I know, like recently, I saw on on your uh, Instagram and Facebook page, like you you had some photos of your your virtual book launch, like when you officially published and and out in the world. So, also just wanted to hear like just what that was like, and kind of just like what what did what did it feel like to know that like it was official, like you had like the book was available, you know, people could go and purchase it and like all this work that you've put in, like this vision and dream that you've had for, for so long, it's now a reality. So yeah, kind of what was that feeling like to know that, that you kind of like, uh, you're officially published now? Um, let's just say that there were many twists and turns, such as life, I think. Um, well, first of all, to kind of answer, or to make a comment about your point about people writing a book, in a way, I, I, I admire your uh, dedication to continue a podcast because you know, to be honest, this month I, 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 I've been on 11 podcasts this month. And, and sometimes in the research process, I look at different podcasts and a lot of people quit within a year because maybe they will start a podcast, you know, they feel great about it. And after a while, they just give up. So the fact that you've been doing this for years now with 25 episodes, I think it speaks to your dedication and commitment. And I think when it comes to approaching different projects, such as writing a book, I think it's, it's these type of characters that, that, makes the project or else you know if people just give up halfway through then you know the book would never never be successful and and on that note i think throughout the writing process there were a lot of twists and turns because of uh the communication and when the book finally launched on january 4th uh, i thought that ah okay this is going to be literally the peak of my career thus far as a exercise uh, professional and within the first week obviously we got the Actually, within the first day, we got the bestseller status and number one new release on Amazon. And I was like, oh, this is going great. And I was looking forward to my in-person book launch because originally when we planned the book launch, 50 people had signed up within two weeks and it was full. And I was looking forward to celebrating this momentous occasion with my dear friends and clients who are in Hong Kong. But of course, life uh, doesn't work out like that sometimes. And I think four days before my book launch, the government announced that there'll be a lockdown where meetings or events are banned and that gyms have to be closed. And so within four days, we had to plan a virtual event. Um, and yet I, I'm still kind of glad I did the virtual event because at least I, I get to can, uh, connect with some people. Um, although I think at the end, the attendance was only a quarter of what would have been uh, 50 people. But then I, I, I'm glad that we did it because at least we, we get to present Diamond Balance to the world and it, it's, it's a good way to celebrate the milestone. Now looking back, uh, I've just got this fresh realization as I'm talking to you right now that 
you know, looking back, I think the event went smoothly. And and sometimes we get anxious and get caught up in in things that perhaps does not matter as much. Um, but you know, it's going to turn out all right, and it did. So as as we wrap things up, uh, you know, just wanted to again give you a chance. I know you mentioned it earlier, but. Just if you want to say where people can find the book, um, you know, what they should search for and where, where they can find it online. And also, if you want to, uh, you know, share your, your own online presence, like, you know, whether it be your Instagram or your, your website or wh- whatever the case may be, where people could find you online if they want to learn more, if they want to just hear what you're up to and learn more about your uh, career as an instructor. Sure. Uh, they can uh, Dining Balance is available everywhere books are sold so Amazon Barnes & Noble uh, Kindle Book Depository if you're not from the US Book Depository is a great place because they do free shipping worldwide uh, and you have ebook available uh, ebook platforms we've got Kindle Kobo uh, Google Books etc my Instagram is Chichu Andy so my Chinese name T-S-Z C-H-I-U Andy and if you have any feedbacks or questions about Dynamic Balance or the work that I do, feel free to reach out. I promise that I'll get back to you. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the second episode that we've done, and it's been great to um, do another podcast with you, Andy, and, and hear more about uh, the book that you wrote. I'm, I'm excited to finish going through it and read it and hopefully also incorporate uh, some of these things in my own day-to-day, you know, personal uh, lifestyle ways that I can eat better and recover better and and uh, just take better care of my health in a more holistic way. Um, I, re- I really like that idea of of thinking as health as not just being when you go to the gym and work out and the fitness side of it, but also everything you do in between and the recovery and the sleep and the diet and and everything else. So um, yeah, I mean it's an awesome book. Really, uh, you know, really proud of you and, and excited to see that, that uh, you're published. And um, yeah, thanks for, for doing the episode again. Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. And, and it means a lot uh, coming from you to compliment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode. And we'll see you next time.